What is actually being erased? Is erasure really about removing pain to come to some understanding, to come to some resolution that maybe you can't ever really get to? Or is it about erasing what racial signifiers mean and seeing art for art, seeing the story for the story, decentralizing the racial aspect. Because I think what you were saying, Sylvia, about it, about just the family, I think that is the thing that is relatable, regardless of your socioeconomic background or your racial background, this sort of family dynamic of just a real family trying to understand their place in the world. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Bookish, a casual book club, a podcast brought to you by Howard Community College. I'm Sylvia, and I'm here with my friends, Kofi and Laura. And today we're talking about Percival Everett's novel, Erasure. And it's a twofer. We're also talking about the screen adaptation of that novel, American Fiction, which has been nominated for, I believe, Academy Award for Best Picture, stars Jeffrey Wright directed by Cord Jefferson. So we're going to be talking a lot about the novel and also the adaptation of this novel to a film, which for first time, Kofi, Laura, and I actually got to watch together at the same time and process some of these things. Yeah. So, yes. and I believe we've, we've read, listened to, and watched every kind of modality that this novel <laughs> comes in, right? So what you guys think? I'll start with you, Kofi. As a book, I found it to be experimental in so many ways. You really have kind of a novel within a novel, kind of a satirical novel about publishing and what it means to be a Black writer or an African-American writer. And the time frame is a little different than a movie. It's very much responding to the type of book clubs that were happening in the, the late 1990s and early 2000s, specifically the Oprah Winfrey Book Club. And with that was ushering in were particular kinds of African-American fiction and fiction broadly speaking, but African-American fiction, some of those authors, I think the novel was sort of critiquing that they were showing just a particular kind of African-American life, but not a fuller picture. And yet in some ways the novel was doing the very thing that it was critiquing by showing certain aspects of African-American life that on one level may not be highlighted. So for instance, working in Planned Parenthood, but there is a stereotype that Planned Parenthood is for black people. And so there, there is a kind of way in which the novel is subversive as well as critiquing a bigger population. So it's a really good book. And I read it, of course, with, you know, grad school so many moons ago. And the movie really reiterated a lot of those themes as well. Though the setting is different, and I'm biased because the novel is set in the Washington, D.C. area, and I'm from D.C. But Columbia makes an appearance in the novel, too, so there's that. Whereas in the <laughs> film, it's definitely centered around New England. Mm -hmm. That's some differences. But I like both of them. Laura, your thoughts? 
Yeah, I ordered a copy of the book, which by the way, you can't get it through like regular channels. I think I got it through a used book store that's online. So while I was waiting for it, I downloaded the audio book and I started listening. And I have to say, listening to the audio book, it's almost like going to the movie, <laughs> the reader, and I should have caught the name of the reader. I don't know if you remember Sylvia, but the reader of the audiobook just does a really excellent job, I think, conveying the different voices. And so listening to it was very dramatic, right, or dramatized. But then reading the book itself, the book format, you can see in print the experimental things more easily like it's visually comes to you right and they're interesting like types and types of font for example or the way the chapters or sections of the writing are divided and how the novel within the novel is couched and presented in the text this reading was a multimedia <laughs> experience and i thought about what you you know what you said kofi about the whole book club thing and when in the book, Zach Lee's book is being, he goes on the, is it Kenya? I forget the name of yes. the celebrity that's in the book. It's equivalent of Oprah, right? But about all of these celebrity book clubs and how these voices and platforms have a way of shaping what Americans read, right? And yeah. who gets to promote these books and who gets to sell them, basically. So that last part in the book where he goes on that show, and I just love his absolute refusal to talk. Like, nope, I don't think so. Nope. <laughs> I, it's just such an interesting book. I highly recommend it to anybody who's open to something new, something different. And I do feel like it critiques everyone. Like no one escapes the criticism that is in, embedded yeah. in this novel. So yeah, it's great. Sylvia. Yeah, I totally agree. The audiobook was narrated by someone named Sean Kristen, I believe. And you're right, Laura, he did a fantastic job just really bringing the voices to life. And for our listeners out there, like, you know, this is really a satirical novel. And I think I was reading a review and NPR called it rude, transgressive and experimental or something to that effect. And I was like, that's so true, but it's also, it's highly entertaining. And it's really, you know, as Kofi was mentioning, if anyone has seen the previews for American fiction, it's poking fun and, and kind of in a sharp way, which is what satire is at what we consider to be race books, right? Or what makes a story African-American, right? And this author within the book, the main character, Thelonious Monk Ellison, you know, he's a writer, but he writes really like dense, like French criticism, like that kind of like literature, a lot of classics, right? But his books, he goes to like a Borders bookshop and he finds them in the African-American studies section. And he's like, this isn't, this isn't African-American, I write about like Medea and Euripides, you know, and really it's because he's black that they put it in the African-American studies section of the bookstore. And Percival Everett is kind of poking fun at that, like really making us look at what we consider to be legitimate black stories. And it kind of centers around Monk's frustration that one of the biggest books that is making a ton of money at the time is titled Wees lives in the ghetto, right? And he's saying basically it's, he's poking extreme fun at it, at this idea that this is what people are associating very stereotypically with Black experience. And what we as readers get is really a, a novel within a novel too, which I thought was 
surprising. I thought, you know, we would get an excerpt of Monk's book because he finally just gets so fed up. He's like, you know what? Fine. I'm going to, I'm going to do what everyone expects of me where he writes a novel that is basically an exaggeration, a ridiculous exaggeration of those types of books. And so I thought like we would get like a chapter or some excerpts, but we got like a full on, like it went on for a while, the actual novel that he writes and becomes really popular, um, which is what you see kind of the central plot of the movie. So, you know, I thought it was just, I thought it was hilarious. I found myself, I was listening to it on audiobook and I found myself just laughing out loud at certain parts because it was so true. But you're right, Laura, like everybody, nobody is spared. Everybody is kind of poked at a little bit. Right. If he's making fun of sort of that commercialization or celebrity-fied, you know, reading habits of Americans, he also pokes fun at academia, right? These like ridiculous (laughs) academic conversations about books. He makes fun of literary book awards and even the process of how those things work. And really only thing that's in my reading that's genuine is about his family, right? Monk's family. Like that piece of the novel is the only place or the real place where I felt genuine exploration of family dynamic. And that felt quote unquote normal or like a little bit outside the experimental. The other thing is too, you know, you guys both talked about the novel within the novel. And recently I went to a talk by the author who wrote Remembrance Sunday. And that novel also has a story within the story. And what the author said applies here because the author of the the novel has to write the story within the story through the voice of the character in the novel who's writing the story within the story. Does that make sense? So I thought that was really interesting. And I didn't think about that about Erasure, but that applies here, right? As Everett is imagining this character, Monk, who then imagines this author stag lee who is writing this and so there's the there, this like translation of different voices going on different layers I and mean, i think that's a really fascinating like craft question right for people interested in writing yeah absolutely i think that it's meta on a, a whole nother level because you then can ask the question well who is the author and what is the author's role in both contexts the story within the story and the person crafting both stories outside of the story. And I think that's where Percival Everett's importance is somewhat muted as Thelonious is is highlighted more, partly because of his relationship with the family, I think, because that's a sort of genuine thing that to relate to, you know, you having siblings that you you have a a sort of uh, on again, off again relationship with, you have, you know, an aging parent kind of in decline. And then you have this desire to challenge a system that is kind of frustrating you, but it's also in its own state of decline when you think about it in terms of publishing. So what makes a credible story? Is it Thelonious' story that is more credible? Or is it the response to the situation that creates Stagger Lee, which is a trope of old African-American, like John Henry, these kind of figures that are in sort of these old tales that you would hear about Stagger Lee killing some millions of people or whatever, or John Henry knocking down the railroads and things like that. There was these sort of folk heroes that existed, but sort of existed within a community 
if my memory serves me, Stagger Lee was always like a rascally person. To use that figure straight out of African-American folklore, I think, of course, was intentional because the folklore spoke to a kind of pathology of licentiousness as well as really not giving a damn about much of societal pressures. And I think that that comes through in on so many levels of the book. I think in an interview, Percival Everett mentioned something to the effect of being a little bit more open to the screen adaptation of Erasure now into what we see as American fiction. So I want to ask the two of you what you thought Screen adaptations of a novel can always be a little bit tricky, especially when there's one of several layers like this. So I wanted to ask you two things. One, like, what did you think of the choices Court Jefferson and the folks who, who adapted it to film made that's a little bit different from the novel? And also, what do you think of the idea that Percival Everett was more open to it now because he saw Hollywood in the past? And that's part of his satire, right? He said he saw Hollywood in the past as some like 60 year old older white guys trying to adapt all these stories of a certain type of black experience. But he felt there were so many more, you know, younger black artists coming up through the different avenues, trying to actually like make art for art's sake and not just to kind of essentialize or, or reduce a story. So did you pick up on any of that? What are your thoughts about how American fiction was as an adaptation of Erasure. Yeah, actually, when I was thinking about coming to a recording, I was a little bit overwhelmed, like between the audiobook, the book and the film, I couldn't think of like, what do I want to talk about? <laughs> I do think that maybe and I'm only conjecturing maybe film today or film industry, there's more room or even audiences more open to this kind of a movie or movie that explores these kinds of concepts, right? So I don't know if we as a movie audiences or have become more sophisticated or these kinds of questions are in our social fabric. So we're maybe familiar with it. And so maybe there's that too. I did also specifically think about how the ending is treated in the movie versus the book. How do you take what feels like an open-ended ending in the book and present it in the way that they did in the film? And I don't really want to give it away, but I I did it like the sort of play that Monk was doing with the filmmaker. Well, how about if we do it like this? Or how about if we do it like that? And coming up with how that story was going to wrap up, which also suggested it what did it didn't matter what actually happened to Monk and Stag Lee. But the what we are seeing at the end of the film, American fiction, is the end that monk and the filmmaker decide to put into it, right? So it's like meta, meta, meta or something is so complicated. But I enjoyed that little bit of back and forth at the end of the film. And I enjoy that sort of open-endedness in the in the book in the very last few sentences. And then I really enjoyed hearing in the book some of the exact lines spoken by the characters that are in the movie. It helped me connect the two much closer. Yeah. 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 I think the movie made Thelonious much more of an unreliable narrator because of how it differs from the book. But then again, I started thinking, well, maybe the book, maybe Thelonious Monk Ellison is an unreliable narrator to begin with. You know, if you think about Thelonious Monk as a musician, mm -hmm. he was somewhat unpredictable. 
he improved a lot. You know, his genius was in his ability to do such things. And then you look at Ralph Ellison, who was much more of a tactician, much more deliberate writer, and it would take him forever, <laughs> or not forever, forever, but you, you get the point. He, he really worked through the novel writing. And so these two fused together mm. created this other kind of character. But I definitely felt after watching the movie that maybe Thelonious is not the most reliable narrator and that we have to view the movie again and mm. understand it mm. a variety of lenses and not, you know, it's almost like reading the book for the first time. You come away with something but you have to go back into it to see some of the other finer points, I think, which makes the movie a good movie because I would definitely see it again because I think that there are probably like Easter eggs that I wasn't paying attention to until I saw the end. I'm like, ah, <laughs> and then I wanted to. What were your thoughts, Sylvia, on the movie? That I agree. Well, I was wondering, even when I was reading the book or listening to the book, I was wondering, how is he going to end this? I thought he did a really, really skillful job at ending this book, the novel. And then I was wondering, how are they going to end this in the film? And I assumed that they would do the same thing. You know, I, I assumed that they would do the same ending. And in fact, it kind of psychs you out a little bit because you think it's over. And then you're, again, as, as Laura alluded to, you're, you're brought into this whole meta part of the movie where they're like, well, what about we end it like this, you know? And I thought it was really clever, I guess, a really clever, really interesting way to end it. But I really want to go back to something you just said, Kofi, about Monk being an unreliable narrator, which I totally agree with. I think I knew it when I was reading, but <clears throat> didn't really pick up until you actually pointed it out. The actual story of Monk is actually quite sad. He is really trying to sift through his own family history as his mother declines into dementia and his sister tragically and suddenly passes away. And I think that the story itself, the novel Erasure, more so than the film, was really a story about grief and loss. I think now that I, I'm kind of revisiting my experience of reading it, you know, it was so profoundly sad to me, the idea that he's faced with not good choices. Yeah. And the time in which it was written is like 20 years prior to where we are now, where American fiction, the movie takes place. And so even his brother, who is homosexual, like this was a time when that was not as openly accepted and especially in his family was not accepted. And so Monk was really, he was really going through it. And all of that kind of compounding with himself, his own role, his own identity as a scholar, but as a somebody who's part of this family, really trying to hold it together. And I was drawn back into that notion that this is really a book about him finding some meaning amidst all the loss that he is encountering. And there's more emphasis in the book on his dad and, and some of the secrets his dad left behind too, and how that plays into his own thoughts about race and how his family is a black family, but also it's just, it's a family, you know, and that part I thought was actually really well done. And the movie, I think, does follow that a little bit. You get a sense that these siblings, especially Monk and his brother, they're so different. They really highlighted that difference a lot more than I thought was in the book. So yeah, that was something that stood out to me, the actual story of Monk. It sort of gets to the point of what is actually being erased? Is erasure really about removing pain to come to some understanding, to come to some resolution that maybe 
you can't ever really get to, which you know explains the ending in the book a little more. Or is it about erasing what racial signifiers mean and seeing art for art, seeing the story for the story, decentralizing the racial aspect. Because I think what you were saying, Sylvia, about it, about just the family, I think that is the thing that is relatable, regardless of your socioeconomic background or your racial background. And so, you know, one of the things I wanted to say quickly, this reminded me of Charles Yu's interior Chinatown in this regard, that you, you see what is a perceived version of what Chinese Americans are supposed to be. And then you see this sort of family dynamic of just a real family trying to understand their place in the world. Yeah. I did wonder about what we lose in the film by not following the more detailed presentation of the father and his secret and his history, which if you're thinking about story of, oh man, what is the character's name that's in my pathology? <laughs> I don't remember Van his Gogh. name. Van Gogh, yeah. <laughs> yes. And then, so if you're thinking about that as a story of a black man and his family, and then you have Monk's family as a story, as you were saying, Sophia, these two versions of uh, what a family looks like and what they, experience. And I really enjoyed, it seems like a weird word, but I really enjoyed the part about the father and how Monk unravels that thread a little bit by reading the letters and looking for his half sibling, I guess. So that's not in the movie at all. And I'm wondering like what's lost because they made the choice to, and, and I realize an adaptation can't include everything. I keep thinking about what, what did we lose in that by losing that piece of the book, I guess. Yeah, that's a good one. It's a good question. Unfortunately, we don't have time to talk about it today. So. <laughs> <laughs> that's very true. We've reached the end of our show. So don't forget, you can listen to this conversation and all our previous episodes at Bookish, a casual, bookclub.podbean.com and you can also listen to us on Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcast and you can watch it on HCCTV and Howard Community College's YouTube page if you have ideas, book suggestions or comments please email us at bookish at howardcc.edu or on our Facebook page bookish, a casual book club where you can interact with us give us a like drop a comment, share your content, and thank you for being a valuable member of our Casual Book Club. We hope to hear from you. Until next time, keep reading. <laughs>